Welcome to the Forests and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment with your host, Melinda Tuhus. This morning, we're gonna be addressing an issue that is impacting probably every single person who lives in Connecticut or is listening now and can hear our voices. It's the issue of the incredible increase in cost of electricity that just uh, took place at, uh, over the beginning of the year here in Connecticut. Um, and my guests are very knowledgeable folks who are gonna be able to talk about this with us. Brenda Watson is executive director of Operation Fuel, which supports people needing help paying their bills, among other things, and, and we'll hear more about that. And Kathy Fay is the director of community sustainability with the Neighborhood Housing Services, which is a wonderful uh, long-term uh, nonprofit in New Haven that basically rehabs uh, homes and they have a whole energy sector, I guess we could call it, that Kathy works in and runs. So welcome both of you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us, Melinda. So let me just start uh, with you saying, both of you saying a little bit more about the work that you do do. Um, so Brenda, why don't you talk about uh, Operation Fuel for mm -hmm. just a minute or two and tell us uh, you know, what, what you do. Sure. So we are a statewide nonprofit that provides uh, direct bill payment assistance uh, to Connecticut residents who are struggling with their home energy bills and water bills. Um, and last year, we launched a program in partnership with Neighborhood, Neighborhood Housing Services in New Haven um, to launch our Better Homes and Buildings program. And that's an infrastructure program in which we help remediate um, homes that are uh, uh, have issues that prevent weatherization, such as mold, asbestos, and um, leaky um, appliances, gas appliances, things like that. Um, so those projects are being funded up to $25,000, and we couldn't, be, we couldn't get that done without the help of um, NHS. So um, in a nutshell, that's what we do. We also advocate on behalf of all Connecticut residents um, and, and trying to help reduce energy burden and um, uh, promote good energy policy. Great, thanks. And Kathy, what about you? Well, um, Neighborhood Housing Services in its traditional role serves New Haven and um, focuses on uh, distressed neighborhoods and uh, encourages first-time home ownership. And that's like our main mission, but uh, we also serve the rest of the state with our energy work. And we have a program called I Heart My Home CT. And that program works one-on-one -on -one with residents, whether they're renters or owners, um, and helps them make energy improvements to their homes that are, we basically help them navigate the system because there are many resources in Connecticut and there are many things that people can do in their homes to make them more energy efficient. But uh, uh, people need hand-holding. They need some guidance to make all of that mesh together. And that's where I heard my home CT comes in. I didn't realize that that, that part of the work of uh, New ha Neighborhood Housing Services is statewide. Oh, yes, it's statewide. And that's why we're thrilled to be working with Operation Fuel. I think we have similar um, observations on how things work for people, you know, boots on the ground. Um, 
and some insight into how there's sometimes a mismatch between policy and um, actual lived experience of residents. Right, right. Well, thanks for that. And so let's talk about um, the increase in energy costs. And this is kind of goes along with the general uh, inflation that really has created a lot of hardship for people. And the fact that rents uh, are just going through the roof. Um, so people with, you know, with lower incomes or fixed incomes are just having a terrible time. Um, and, you know, people need, <laughs> electricity is basically, I think, a human right, um, although not in our society. So the, the costs went up, uh, UI, which serves United Illuminating, which serves New Haven and Fairfield counties and um, Eversource. It goes through all these different name changes, but it's now Eversource, which serves all the rest of Connecticut and Massachusetts and even beyond, I think New Hampshire or something. It's, it's, a, it's a much bigger conglomerate. Um, but they both raised their rates, uh, I don't 50% or something, where they said the average uh, rate payer in Connecticut is going to be paying $80 a month more, um, which kind of boggles the mind if somebody, you know, is living paycheck to paycheck and doesn't know where that $80 a month is going to come from. So what can you tell us about why the rates went up so much? The, the, the utilities say it's not us because they're just the pass-through, but you know, uh, either or both of you, if you could address that, like how do we understand this huge jump? I'll go ahead and take a stab at it, but I just wanna make clear that I am not a rate expert. You know, The person on my team who is, is not here. <laughs> but um, I, I, I honestly think it's just a combination of history and um, the rate of inflation, the uh, geopolitics that are involved with where our fuel sources come from. Um, and uh, I think when it costs a lot of money, if you have an infrastructure and you, you've got a lot of overhead, then that's also gonna play a role in, in you know, what any company will charge its customers to recover uh, you know, the increased price of any product that they're delivering or selling. Um, so I think that that, in a nutshell, doesn't really quite answer the question. Um, but I think that that's that really is like my perspective on on why rates are so high. Um, Kathy, you want to take it from there? Sure. Well, one thing that folks should know is the entire Northeast has fairly high rates, um, and that's because unlike the rest of the country, we are highly dependent on gas for our electric generation, and um, you really can't generate, you can't use electricity that was generated very far away because um, it doesn't arrive here. So we're dependent on that gas and the gas um, infrastructure is overloaded. Um, we, we're not looking to expand gas and yet we have this crunch with the higher prices um, of, the, of this gas generation. So in terms of the main explanation that I've heard is, uh, as you mentioned, um, Brenda, the, the, the higher cost of gas, it used to be really cheap and we're, everybody was trying to get onto gas as, quote, the bridge to a clean energy future, which I have to say it never was. And, um, you know, with finding out about uh, methane, you know, 
natural gas is methane and methane leaks um, all along the, the route from, you know, the, from the uh, fracking fields to our homes leaks all along the way and actually makes it less as, as bad or even sometimes worse <clears throat> than coal in terms of the climate impact, not in terms of some of the other health impacts because coal is just really the worst. But, um, but still there are health impacts as well from, from, from the gas. And unfortunately our previous governor Malloy was so into this idea of promoting gas as, you know, like get everybody onto gas as like, it seemed like such a time warp. He should have been off of that, you know, like years and years ago. So that, like you said, Kathy, we're kind of a lot of the majority of, of the power of the electricity now is generated by gas. And also I, the other big chunk is from nuclear. So we don't have a very clean grid. Um, and uh, there's also the issue of, you know, the war in Ukraine that a lot of our gas being produced in this country is actually going abroad. It's being turned into uh, liquefied natural gas, which is and put on these huge tankers and sent abroad, which we were already doing, but now even more so because of the war. And talk about the energy that it takes to convert a gas to a liquid. And it's just totally unsustainable and horrible. I'm speaking with Brenda Watson, the executive director of Operation Fuel in Connecticut, and Kathy Fay, who is the director of community sustainability for neighborhood housing services, which also serves the state of Connecticut. Yes, I'm, I'm really glad you bring that up because during the Malloy administration, I had just started working at Operation Fuel. And I was also convinced that uh, gas was a cleaner fuel, that um, it, was, it was more affordable than, than oil. And it definitely was at the time. Um, but now that I know what I know, I don't think that I would have been an advocate at that time. I would have raised that issue. Um, and, and even reading the CES at the time, um, where I was just kind of challenging um, how people were expected to convert to fuel, I mean, convert to gas with no real plan to get rid of the existing fuel that they had in their home. Because we were getting those calls. People would, people wanted to overwhelmingly do donate their fuel oil to us because they were getting rid of it as they transitioned to gas. Um, and I was just like, well, it didn't seem like the uh, folks who got together and wrote this plan even bothered to speak to everyday consumers on how they would go about doing that. It was just, this is our recommendation. People should do it. We're going to provide all these, these incentives to, to spur that movement. Um, but no real action plan that was based in, in actual practice because you have your theory and then you have you have your reality and um, I think that speaks a lot to sadly how these decisions are often made and that they're made in these in these silos and folks like Kathy and I are not dialed in um, and you too uh, Melinda uh, and and everyday consumers are just listening to the talking points and going huh that that's doesn't sound like a bad thing I should my in-laws did it you know, um, there are quite a few people who did it <laughs> and, and there was a lot of motivation and, and reason to. So um, I think it's, it's widely important that we're, we're in this space now where we have the ability to 
uh, be dialed into these issues and advocate for ourselves. Um, and thank goodness for organizations like Mind and Kathy's because that's our job. Now we're we're in that space where we are working to empower everyday consumers, especially the low and moderate consumer, on what clean and renewable uh, products and programs can do for their health and for their wallets. Right. Good point. And you mentioned CES earlier. Is that clean energy strategy? Is that what that stands for? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that sort of reminds me of going back even further. Um, I did a lot of stories for the New York Times when it had a Connecticut section back in the 90s and mm -hmm. early 2000s. And in, um, in 1998, I did a, a long piece, actually, uh, about the proposed deregulation of the electricity sector in Connecticut, which was happening around the country. Um, and the selling point to, to consumers was this is going to save you money, deregulation. This is, you know, you'll have choices. And, and, you know, there were people I quoted in my story back then who were saying, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, it's probably going to end up costing ratepayers more, which it certainly has. And, um, I, I was just reading a, a recent story just in the last week in the times that, that made that exact point that said, of all the states that deregulated compared to the states that didn't deregulate, it's the, the non-deregulated, in other words, still regulated uh, utility markets in those states that it's cheaper. So, um, you know, it was, it sort of feels like, you know, they were selling us like the Brooklyn Bridge or something, you know, in terms of uh, talking about why this would be, why this would be good. And, uh, you know, I think that there's it, the article talked about different options, uh, you know, besides the, the current situation, be, besides the regulated and, and also besides the deregulated thing they were trying to do that might be more, um, you know, beneficial to customers than either of those options, you know, but, um, you know, it's, it's a long battle to, you know, get it basically get a more democratic um, utilities energy system. But one thing that I it also brings up, and I think I wrote about this in a different article, was there are five communities in Connecticut that have municipal, you know, utilities basically. And in every one of those communities, and the one closest to me that I know about the most is Wallingford, the prices are consistently lower for for ratepayers when it's a municipal system. And I've never heard anyone have any complaints about it. I mean, everybody I know in Wallingford loves that it's a municipal system. So, you know, there are options, there are different options. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's a big issue with a lot of, you know, it's like an octopus with a lot of arms that we could go in different directions to, to look at. But um, I think uh, for now, I want to make sure that we talk about solutions um, or at least assistance, if not solutions uh, to, um, you know, to this problem, this, this serious issue of people not having money to pay their bills. And what's good. I mean, we are so lucky that we have had, except for Christmas, Christmas Eve and Christmas day, Almost every other day in, in the so-called, you know, cold weather, December into January has been at least 10 degrees above normal. 
which is really phenomenal. I mean, I feel like it's late April every time I go out the door, um, which, you know, is, is a blessing for people who, uh, you know, they, they don't need to spend as much uh, heating their homes if it's a lot warmer than usual. So what about things that, that your organizations are both doing? How, how can people get help with this? Well, I think um, Operation Fuel is really provides most immediate assistance. And then um, we've also worked together with the Better Homes and Buildings program and I Heart My Home CT to help people, you know, in the longer term to make changes that take a longer time. But there's also a third option, and that is that, is that people can um, actually change their electric supplier. And um, so although it's true that having this market um, didn't significantly bring prices down, Melinda mentioned that um, the having this free market where there were other suppliers and having the utilities be a pass-through where they're also buying electricity and reselling it, um, that it really didn't create uh, the result that was touted of having lower rates. But right now, those other suppliers have lower rates and you can switch suppliers. Um, Pura, our public utilities regulatory authority, vets all of these companies and they publish a rate board. And people can go to this rate board and they can switch their electric supplier. Um, and I can walk folks out through how to do that. You would go to the Energize CT website. That's energizect.com. And you'll immediately be able to see where you can, where you can look at um, what's called the rate board and you can choose a supplier. Then you can just check, check off whether you're an Eversource residential customer or a United Illuminating residential customer, and it will take you to the relevant page. And then you can compare rates from all the suppliers. You can also sort it by amount of renewable energy in the mix. And you can find, you can lock into a rate for a longer period that is significantly lower, about three quarters of the amount that you would otherwise be paying from the standard offer that's offered by the utility. Um, and, the, and then if rates go down significantly from the standard offer, Pura made it such that they're not allowed to charge cancellation fees. So if you wanna switch again, you can. So that's one thing you can do immediately to reduce your electric bill. That only applies to the generation portion of your electric bill, but that's significant. And uh, so I guess I'll kick it over to Brenda about immediate assistance. I'm speaking with Brenda Watson, the executive director of Operation Fuel in Connecticut, and Kathy Fay, who is the director of community sustainability for Neighborhood Housing Services, which also serves the state of Connecticut. Before you go there, Brenda, I just wanted to say, to add that I am in the process of switching um, and I found 
Uh, I found a supplier that says 100% renewable, and it is cheaper than the standard offer from UI that I get right now. But I haven't finished because I wrote to them and said, what can you please define renewable? And they haven't responded yet. And I think, you know, renewable in different states, it means different things. And it's not just, you know, solar and wind, which is the cleanest, which we like to think about. But, um, you know, in some places it's and in, in Connecticut, I can't remember, but I know there's been a lot of fights over what should be included. Um, and in some places, you know, burning garbage is considered renewable and um, you know, hog waste, if you turn it into renewable gas is renewable. I mean, there's a lot of really awful things. For the renewable energy um, portion of a bill, um, the suppliers are required to disclose what their mix is. Um, but uh, renewable, most of them are going to be renewable energy credits. And renewable energy credits are required to be new renewables that are sort of purchased and certified that they are new. Um, and uh, their renewable energy credits for short is called RECs. So if it's 100% RECs, it's supposed to be 100% green energy, you know, renewable energy. And again, our Pura has oversight over that. So if they find that a company is misrepresenting their mix, of renewable energy, then they will not be able to operate in Connecticut anymore. Okay. So yeah, Brenda, I've actually, you've been making the rounds of some of the news and talk shows talking about this. So how can uh, Operation Fuel help people who can't pay their bills? So right now um, we actually increased our um, guidelines to accommodate folks who are working and are finding themselves needing assistance. So um, we've expanded that to 100% of state median income. Um, what that looks like for a household of four is roughly around $124,000 and gross. Um, we've also doubled the grant amount from $500 to 1,000 to help get people a clean slate if that's gonna help them um, because the energy, uh, the the rate hikes are not going to, you know, it's not a problem that's going to go away when the winter warm, when the weather warms up. Um, you know, the energy burden is a year round problem for a lot of households in the state. Uh, so what people can do to apply is they can go to our website, click on the get help icon, and that will bring them to an online application uh, so for as long as you have access to a computer and Wi-Fi, you can apply for um, our grants in the comfort of your own home or at the local library, or if there's someone, you know, that can help you with the application. Um, if you want a little bit more supportive services, um, if you need help with food, rent, other things like that, you can go to one of our uh, field banks. We have 58 in the state. NHS is one of them, but they only focus on the Better Homes program. Um, so those are the ways in which people can apply. But I just want to emphasize the, the fact that even though the temperatures um, are season, seasonably low, without heat in your home, if you walk in the door, it's still cold. You know, it's just, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's at that point where now people are living 
um, with indoor temperatures that are uh, actually harmful to their health. And where people don't typically freeze to death because again, as you noted, it's not that cold out. It's still just not a, it's not a productive way to live. And if you don't have electricity, it means you're in the dark. Um, if you don't have electricity, you very likely don't have heat. And, um, and that's a double whammy. And, you know, to make things worse, there are some people who struggle with their water as well. Even though the MDC rates have gone down, um, those uh, the water rates continue to increase. They're now getting, gaining attention as well as an unaffordable basic need utility. Um, and there are people who have lived in situations where it's the, it's the trifecta, no water, no heat, and no lights. And some people will actually live that way without even accessing help because number one, they may not be aware of our program. Number two, um, they may believe that just because they're working, they don't qualify. And number three, um, there's just a lot of a shame associated with needing help. Um, there's a lot of shame associated with poverty. And, um, you know, I'm kind of veering off into another topic that deserves another show, but poverty is sadly associated with blackness, with, you know, brownness. And um, we live in a state where it's diverse, but it's not that diverse. So, you know, white poverty exists. And um, that's just a topic that uh, is not spoken of enough. And I think that if it were, perhaps there would be a different opinion about programs like mine and, and Kathy's, that it's okay to need help. And, you know, nonprofits are here. We exist to undo some of the most uh, egregious acts of economic and racial isolation um, that goes way back to the forming of this country, to the forming of electricity as a product. You know, I'm a fan of the Gilded Age uh, and the end of season one, the season uh, um, finale, there was a scene in which um, uh, that the, the city of New York was going to be lit up. And um, the gentleman, Louis Latimer, who helped develop the inside of the light bulb that would make it, um, you know, work in a home, was cast to the side. He was, he was not there on the stage flipping a switch. Um, with Thomas Edison and, and other people who had the money to help build the infrastructure for, uh, you know, electricity. And in that scene, there's all of the, the wealthy white people at the front. Um, and then you have perhaps middle income or working class people behind them. And then just on in another section separate from, from those groups, you had the black folks. And I think that that is um, a reflection of what electricity was established as, as a product to be sold and traded on a commodities market. And, and I think over time it developed into something that was a basic need because what electricity has done to our, our infrastructure as a country, our economy, as it, it helped the healthcare system, it helped the tech system, the IT tech system, it's just all of these systems are in place because of electricity. We are now at a time where it's a life-saving essential need. Not only is it life-saving, but it keeps us civilized as, as communities. 
because you see what happens when the power goes down. People panic. It's also, you know, a target for terrorism. So that shows you how weak and vulnerable we are because of how much we need electricity and heat in our homes and water. Right. Yeah. Good point. I, I haven't seen the show, but I, I really appreciate your point. So I've been speaking with Brenda Watson, Executive Director of Operation Fuel, and Kathy Fay, Director of Community Sustainability for Neighborhood Housing Services. This has been really educational and, and uh, enjoyable, really, talking to you both about the work that you're doing and uh, the difference it could make in people's lives. And, uh, you know, just sort of points in the direction of maybe how we need to change our energy system. So I'll just leave it at that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And it was it was a treat to learn a little bit more about you, too, Melinda. <laughs> You've been listening to The Forest and the Trees, Global and Local Perspectives on the Environment, with your host, Melinda Tuhus. Tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9.30 a.m. here on WPKN 89.5 FM for more environmental news you can use.